Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Psalms, chapter 27, verses 1 through 9. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. That I, may, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, and his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, and be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. My name's Amy, and it is my joy to be one of the pastors on the team and to spend a Sunday morning with you all. To be honest, I would rather be sitting out there with you, but at least we're together, and that's all that matters. Uh, Some of you might remember the last time I preached, I shared Tim Keller's quote that for all preachers, it takes about 200 sermons to get a real winner. So for those of you keeping count, this is number three, (laughs) which means I have 197 to go. It's all good. So yeah, stay with me, 90 years, we got this. For those of you who've been around Antioch for a while, you know that we follow the church calendar and use the Revised Common Lectionary to choose the scripture we preach from each Sunday. And when I looked at my passage, I thought, why on earth are we stopping at verse 9? There are five more verses that seem important. So I had some fun. Yes, I like this kind of thing, going down a rabbit hole, reading about uh, the lectionary, poking around online, slash procrastinating writing a sermon. Um, And I learned some of the history of the lectionary and why it's such a valuable tool, why we use it today. The limited number of verses each week are meant to make the readings doable. Uh, By using the lectionary, we have a readable selection each week that ensures we read the whole scope of the Bible every three years. And of course, the goal of keeping everyone on the same page and making it possible to get through the reading doesn't mean we can't read more. So I will be using the entire Psalm today. Stay tuned for verses 10 through 14 in a bit. 
Um, the lectionary is also shaped by the church calendar, and as we are in the season of Epiphany, our readings during this season are intended to reveal something about God to us, to give us those moments of, aha. And Epiphany for me is one of the first seasons of the church calendar that I really grasped. I love learning, I love discovering something new or challenging and coming out the other side with a different perspective. Are you, anyone familiar with the phrase, I was today years old when I learned? Ah, some nods, some not nods. For those of you not nodding, I'm guessing you don't spend a lot of time on social media, so <laughs> congratulations. Uh, the phrase, I was today years old when I learned, is refer referencing everyday epiphanies. Things like, I was today years old when I realized you can't hum if you hold your nose closed. <laughs> Go ahead, try. You're welcome. Uh, some useful ones. I hope I'm not the only one. Don't judge if I am. Old school can openers, when you open them around, holding them sideways around the can, you get a jagged edge on the can. If you use them on top of the can this way, it seals the lid on the can. No sharp edges. I was today years old when I learned that. Uh, one more silly one. For those of you who have iPhones, sorry for the rest of you, but for those of you who have iPhones, if you text somebody P-E-W, P-E-W, pew-pew, you shoot lasers at them. <laughs> there you go. I'm done. No, kidding. Um, so I love those aha moments when we are reading the Bible, praying, listening to a sermon or a speaker, and God reveals something about himself or our faith or our walk in a new light. Today, I hope our psalm and my words give you your own I was today years old moment, your own epiphany about your faith. This past October, I experienced an aha moment of spiritual epiphany when I attended the Christian Community Development Conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. The theme of the conference was well-being, pretty timely in light of the last couple of years. And each speaker spoke from their personal experiences. And I can tell you, we are not alone in the loss, stress, uncertainty, and exhaustion we've all felt these last couple of years. Over and over, as the speakers vulnerably admitted, I am not well, they equally proclaimed that it is well. They saw God's goodness and presence in the midst of their struggles, not on the other side of them. And this was an epiphany for me. I know people who are so good at praying from a place of vulnerability and honesty, at letting God and others know they are struggling when things are not well. And I know people who seem to have every promise of God memorized and are quick to diminish any struggles or sadness and slap what feels like a smiley face sticker on everything. And I know folks who've just given up on talking or praying about either. They're tired of not being well, and the overused platitudes just don't help. Things don't seem to be working like they thought they would. At the conference, I started to see authentic prayer from the place of pain differently. I am not well, and it is well. In those spaces where we are not well, that's where the it is well of God shines the brightest. When our circumstances feel crushing, what does it look like to tap into the bigger, greater truth that it is well? Have any of you driven an old car that was definitely not well, but was well enough? 
You might have had to convince yourself that even though the check engine light comes on randomly, it'll be fine. It's well enough. And as my daughter and I embarked on a cross-country road trip in our aging minivan, we told ourselves, we'll make it. The car is well enough. Here's a picture of my daughter using our handy-dandy little diagnostic tool we purchased and used often just to make sure the warning lights weren't worse than we were expecting. Sometimes our lives are like this. There are warning lights on, we're running on fumes, our tire pressure feels low. We know we are not well, but we trudge on telling ourselves that we are well enough to keep going. Is this the life God calls us to? Is God merely offering us a life that is well enough in the midst of our pain, our grief, our roadblocks? I'm gonna tell you no today. Our Psalm paints a different picture than this. So this morning, will you entertain the idea of holding both these truths together? In the midst of not being well, we can proclaim the perfect everlasting truth that it is well in God who holds all things together. Actually, I've come to the place where I just blend these two statements together into God is in the mess. God is in the mess. God is in, it is well, the mess. We are not well. Before we jump, jump into the psalm, I'd like to pray for us. Almighty God, we come before you this morning ready and willing to hear from you. Please speak to us through the psalm and through my words. Use this morning to draw us closer to you and closer to each other as a beloved community. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we turn to Psalm 27, it's important to remember that the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. Jesus prayed the Psalms and believers have been praying them for centuries. The Psalms give us words for praising God, words for remembering, words for crying out. In the Psalms, we find permission to come authentically and honestly before God. Praying the Psalms isn't about changing our circumstances. It isn't about making bad things disappear. Praying and praying the Psalms specifically is about letting God change us. Through the practice of prayer, we are changed. Our Psalm this morning opens with a couple verses that proclaim the Psalmist's understanding of what they know in their head to be true about God. A couple of it is well statements. In verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Sounds pretty secure and solid. The psalmist is proclaiming that it is well. They have light, they have salvation, they have the strength of God of the universe. But as we read on, things don't sound so well. In verses two through three, you can see up on the screens, here things shift, and we see that wicked are advancing to devour the psalmist. An army is besieging them. War is breaking out. They are not well. And right in the middle of expressing their fear, the psalmist proclaims some promises. They are alternating between I am not well and it is well. They are holding both truths. They say, my heart will not fear, I will be confident. These are challenging truths to really internalize, especially in a place where you expect to be devoured or besieged. 
Now the psalmist turns in verses four through six with some guidance for us of how to stay in the head and heart space of believing that it is well in the midst of these terrifying and seemingly windless situations. How do we do that? We seek the Lord. We dwell, we gaze, we sacrifice, and we sing. Not exactly a bold defensive strategy by the world's standards, and yet this is what we are called to in times of fear and anxiety, times of dread and grief. Draw near to God, sit in the silence of prayer, let go of the tendency to trudge on with the mindset of it is well enough. Remember who God is, remember whose you are. The psalmist is reminding us that we don't find our light and salvation in our families, in our jobs, in our homes. God is our light and salvation. And we don't find our stronghold in our intellect or our finances or our mental and physical well-being. God is our stronghold. And just because we in 2023 Central Oregon don't have any literal wicked people advancing to devour us, no zombie apocalypse yet, we don't have an army besieging us. Thankfully, there's no open warfare in our land right now. We do have our share of struggles. We can be not well in the areas of relationships, our bank account, our habits, our addictions. As I've mentioned before, I am the keeper of the Antioch family prayer list, and I know your sufferings. I know some of you have lost loved ones and that death feels so very final and impossible to live with. I know that many of you struggle with chronic physical and mental health. You have prayed and prayed and prayed, but the healing just isn't happening and you're exhausted and feel hopeless. I know many of you are struggling with broken relationships with your spouse, your children, your friends, and there just doesn't seem to be a way forward. We are not well, and yet, the Bible tells us in many ways that in those spaces of struggle and doubt, God's light is shining for us. In God, it is always undeniably well. We can see in these verses how the psalmist answers his fears with the promises of God. In verses four through five, he claims God promised to keep us safe in his dwelling, to hide us in the shelter of his sacred tent, to set us high on a rock, to exalt us. So being safe in God's dwelling, does this mean that when we are not well, when enemies are advancing, we're to run to church and hide there? I mean, y'all are welcome here any day of the week, and honestly, I love praying with you, but I think a more accurate interpretation of dwelling and hiding and seeking means that we are to be mindful of sitting in God's presence, which we can do anywhere, anytime. As Psalm 1 reminds us, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. The psalmist knows the only way to be truly well in the midst of fear is not dependent on our circumstances changing, but is instead dependent on being in God's presence. We are called to seek, dwell, and gaze upon God, to read scripture, to pray, to commune with other believers. I'm reading a book right now called Reconciling All Things, and I love this quote. The author, Emmanuel Catangole, writes, in the two times of greatest pain in my life, 
God provided gifts of scripture, the patient love of friends who told me what I needed to hear and offered wisdom I did not have, the grace I did not deserve, and the prayer that gave me strength to simply take the next step. In the mystery of God's presence, all of this somehow enabled me to go on in spite of the now and to see new life emerge in ways I could never have imagined. How many of you have experienced that kind of beauty? When all seems lost and hopeless, the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear or a song plays that speaks to your heart or a friend reaches out with a timely text. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Sean shared a great message with us about hearing God. And my takeaway from that sermon was that in order to hear God's voice, we have to be familiar with it. We learn about God's voice through the stories of the Bible. We can learn to recognize God's voice through the practice of listening. And if you are seeking, dwelling, gazing, God's presence is all around you, ready and willing to set you high on a rock and exalt your very soul. Jesus modeled this for us perfectly in the midst of very much being not well. He was constantly praying, rooting himself in the bigger story of God. I spent last fall the season of Advent seeking, dwelling, and gazing on the story of Jesus' birth. It started with reading Scott Erickson's book, Honest Advent, every day, and I just began to see this pattern over and over. Things were not well for Jesus from his conception all the way through his crucifixion, and yet we all know that it was well. God was in the mess. God protected Mary, an unwed teenager, God provided a place for Jesus to be born when it seemed that every door had been slammed shut. God guided Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to Egypt where they lived safely as refugees until the danger had passed. God comforted and encouraged Jesus as he went about the hard, lonely work he'd been sent to do. And God gave Jesus the courage to face those last hours in his fleshy body. God brought Jesus out of the grave as the rescuer of us all. God was in the mess from the beginning. I'm sure Jesus had more moments than we can count when he was in a place of struggle, of being humanly not well. And yet, in those very spaces, God provided a way. God's goodness was all around him. He was not well, and it was undeniably well. With these thoughts in mind, I traveled to that conference in the Carolinas by myself and through the speaker in the very first session, God confirmed that yes, even though I'm not well, it is well. At the end of the conference, I had the chance to explore Charleston, South Carolina for the first time, and I made reservations at the renowned restaurant Husk. As the time came for me to walk through the doors, I hesitated. I'd been walking around the city all day in the humidity and heat, and I wasn't exactly dressed to impress. As I looked at everyone else entering the restaurant, I saw couples and groups and families, and here I was, table for one. I almost canceled and turned around and went back to the security of my hotel room. But I knew I'd regret it, and I'd get in trouble with all the foodies that I work with. So I took a deep breath. And I walked in, and would you believe that the song playing in the restaurant at that moment was the Amy song? Does anybody else know that song? Amy, what you want to do? Right? 
where Miami's at. Uh, I could have cried, really. I felt so seen and loved by God. I lifted my head and proclaimed the wellness of being holy and completely cherished by the God of the universe and walked to my table. That song playing helped me to shift my thinking, to see God's goodness in the midst of my loneliness. The food was absolutely amazing and I knew that God was there with me. I could claim both. It stinks to be alone sometimes. And I am loved by God. I am not well and it is well. God is in the mess. In my own personal mess of the last two years, God is changing me and giving me new understanding. I doubt I will ever be thankful for this specific events that broke my heart, but I absolutely trust and believe that God will redeem these traumas for good. I was talking to a good friend about these things the other day, and he shared the story of his sister passing away and how his life, career path, compassion for others can be traced to that horrible trauma decades ago. He would never say that he's thankful his sister died so young. He carries the grief of that loss every day. And yet, in the midst, he sees how God is at work, turning a tragedy into something good. The horrible mess of death is giving birth to something beautiful. And in these last few months, I found new life in my prayers and I see God booing me up as I vulnerably bring my grief to him in prayer and follow the pattern of the Psalms by claiming promises, both and, holding these two extremes together with equal weight. And I trust that as the years go by, God will continue to shape me and mature me in my faith. He will continue to bring light from the darkness. Now, as promised, let's look at the rest of the psalm, and you'll see that the pattern of acknowledging that the psalmist is not well, while also proclaiming that it is well, continues. In verses 10 through 12, things look pretty bleak. The psalmist writes, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. The heartbreak of broken relationships is so real, but being forsaken, losing the connection with someone you counted on, like having a parent forsake you, that is a gut-wrenching thought. I know I'm not the only one here bearing this kind of weight. My weight is rejection from divorce. For some of you, being forsaken, rejected, shut out from your adult kids' lives has been and continues to feel like an inescapable weight bearing down on you. Hear me when I tell you that finding peace in the fact that the Lord will receive you, will not forsake you, will not turn his back on you, doesn't mean that you slap a smile on and act like the pain of broken relationships isn't real. Remember, we're going after a both and today. And I believe with practice and honesty, we can hold both. I am not well, but it is well. Our psalmist closes with some encouragement for himself and for us, the reader, as well. In the final verses, we read, Remain confident of this. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In the midst of our brokenness, we can take heart and remain confident in the goodness of God. 
If we are paying attention, we can see evidence of God's goodness all around us. I have one more story for you, and I apologize. I'm using a road trip story again, but remember, it's my third sermon. So maybe when I've preached 200 and am a pro, I'll have more variety to my stories. For now, road trip stories are my thing. So the week between Christmas and New Year's, I thought it would be lovely to get away, go to the coast, reflect on 2022, look ahead to 2023, journal, be super spiritual with the ocean. Uh, As we looked, um, driving to a small town on the North Oregon coast, Gerhardt, we checked the weather, said it was 100% chance of rain. It's the coast, it's always rainy. So we went ahead and went, my daughter and I. Uh, The power went out the very first night we were there, which was very exciting, felt like an adventure. Um, We were all in, and on our first morning, or first lunchtime, we decided to head into Seaside to go to Moe's for clam chowder, something you have to do. Um, Did I mention it was rainy and windy, just a little? Um, We got a parking spot right in front of Moe's, felt good. We prepared ourselves to get out in the wind and the rain, telling each other that as soon as we opened the door, we're making a bolt for the restaurant. So we counted to three, I opened the door of my car and it was ripped out of my hands by the wind. There was a horrible crunching sound that followed and all of a sudden our adventure felt a little scary. (laughs) Uh, After quite a bit of struggle, we managed to pull the car door back to the side of the car and with one hand holding the car door and one hand on the steering wheel, I inched across the street to a hotel parking garage. We parked the car and took a deep breath. We spent the next six hours of our relaxing coast vacation on the phone with repair shops, tow companies, service centers, insurance, et cetera, et cetera. We ended the evening getting a cab back to our hotel and leaving the car unlocked with the driver door hanging open in the parking garage of downtown Seaside. So the reason I'm telling you the story is it's super fun to tell. (laughs) But also, when Claire and I finally sat down to our lunchtime bowl of clam chowder at our hotel at 8 p.m., we started to make a list. What went wrong? The wind bent the car door. What went right? And we filled a page. The goodness of God was all around us. We talked to so many kind, helpful people. We were safe. We were in it together. And I couldn't help but think of this psalm. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We and my poor car were very much not well. And it was well. God was there with us in the mess. In closing, I have a challenge for you all. I want you to write a psalm that speaks to your personal moments of fear or anxiety can be from the last couple years, this last week, today, whatever's weighing heavy on you. The book of Psalms are our prayer book, and our psalm today shows us how to take those moments that threaten to spiral us down into fear and anxiety and turn those feelings into a prayer. Copying the pattern of our psalm today, I want you to spend some time honestly looking at the ways in which you are not well. And right alongside those bits, I want you to proclaim the ways in which you know it is well in God. You don't have to rhyme or be poetic. It can be short. It can be long. This is just a chance for you to practice being vulnerable before God with the areas of your life that are not well. 
remember to take a deep breath and remind yourself of who God is and in that space proclaim that it is well. You can pull promises from today's Psalm. God is your light, your salvation, your strength. You will see his goodness. From other Psalms, the Lord hears our cries. God is abounding in love to all who call on him. Some from the Old Testament. The Lord your God takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. God gives strength to the weary and power to the weak. Or from the New Testament, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Or he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Come to God and he will give you rest. There are so many more. And the more you seek, gaze, and dwell on God through the scriptures, the more these promises will come to mind in those moments of being not well. And you'll learn and be able to authentically hold these two truths. I am not well, but it is well. For extra credit, I'd love for you to share your psalm with at least one other person. We grow in our faith by witnessing God's work in each of our lives. Sharing your psalms with each other is a powerful way to encourage, challenge, and deepen our understanding of God. In the weeks since I've known I was preaching from this passage, I had my adventure on the coast with the windstorm, and I've had two conversations that threatened to rock me to my core. And in all three of these instances, I was tempted to spiral down into self-pity, fear, despair, all the fun things. But God reminded me of this sermon, that in the midst of these events, I could be honest with my fears and take a deep breath, proclaim what I know to be true about God. It is well, because I am seen, I am loved, I am not forsaken, I'm not alone. What if every time we feel fear, anxiety, the desire to wrestle control from God, what if we practice this? What if we learn the discipline of holding both truths before God? Back just a sec to Scott Erickson's book on Advent, I underlined this quote. Scott challenges the reader to take those moments of not being well and lean in. Make those points opportunities to connect with God. We're not alone. Scott writes, maybe the place we experience God with us today is in the very fears we have about our own lives, our own world, our own future. The fears that keep us from believing that anything can be different. The fears that we are here all on our own. Today, let our fears be the starting place of divine connection. I'm gonna close with my psalm and then Pastor Sean will lead us all in receiving communion. I really, really hope you all take me up on my challenge this week. I look forward to hearing of any epiphanies the process leaves you with. Here's my psalm. Oh God, you alone can renew my strength. I will seek you. You alone are the source of goodness. I will gaze upon you. When whispers and lies of inadequacy and failure are all around me, when human promises are broken, earthly covenants shattered and relationships strained, I will dwell with you. I trust in your promises. I am confident that you will make yourself known to me today 
as you have done in all my days past. I will wait on you. I am not well, but it is well. <laughs>